0: on local now channel 525 and good morning i'm gary randall thank you so much for joining me today it's thursday june the 17th 2021 in the year of our lord today on june 17 1994 after leading police on a slow speed chase across southern california freeways oj simpson was arrested charged with murder and the slaying of his ex-wife nicole and her boyfriend Ronald Goldman Simpson, as you may recall, was later acquitted in the criminal trial, but he was held liable in a civil trial. Today in 362, Emperor Julian issued an edict banning Christians from teaching in Syria. Interesting. Today in 1579, Sir Francis Drake, he claimed San Francisco Bay for England. Today in 1775, the British took Bunker Hill outside Boston, but it was a very, very costly win for them. Today, in 1856, the Republican Party opened its first national convention in Philadelphia. Today, in 1885, the Statue of Liberty Liberty arrived in New York Harbor. It was aboard a French ship. It was to be planted on Ellis Island. Today, in 1863, the U.S. Supreme Court in Abington, Pennsylvania school district versus Schimp. It struck down eight to one rules requiring the recitation of the Lord's prayer or reading of biblical verses in public schools. Do you realize that from the founding of America from 1776 and certainly much before that time, but since America became the United States of America till 1963, by mandate, by requirement, in public schools. We either recited the Lord's Prayer, or we we read biblical verses in public schools until 1963. And in 1963, that was abolished by a professed atheist who really didn't live out an atheist life. I've talked about Madeline Murray O'Hara, talked about her son. I knew her son pretty well uh, over some years, interviewed him on our television program years ago. He said, mom never lived the atheist life. He said, we celebrated Christmas, Easter, all that stuff. He said, that was just what she did. She made a lot of money at it, but he said, that's what she did. She really wasn't atheist. She didn't believe in God, but she didn't disbelieve in God. She didn't practice atheism. She just lived her life. But that made a fundamental shift in education, as we call public education. Um, interestingly enough, stats, statistics from this day, 1963 forward, began to change downward in our public education. It became begin to become less and less of education and more and more of indoctrination. Today, in 1967, China successfully tested its first hydrogen bomb. Today, in 2009, President Barack Obama extended benefits to same-sex partners of federal employees. Today, in 2013, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled 7 to 2 that states can't demand proof of citizenship cannot demand proof of citizenship from people registering to vote in federal elections unless they get federal or court approval to do so. That's why why the far left wants open borders because they want to take credit for opening the borders and they assume that everybody that walks across the border from Guatemala or wherever will vote for them. And... Many of them, most of them perhaps do. Ten years ago today, the United Nations endorsed the rights of LGBTQ people for the first time ever. They passed a a resolution hailing as historic by the U.S. and other backers. Interestingly enough, though, predominantly Christian countries in Africa decried it. They held prayer meetings for America, the nation that we sent missionaries to for generations, found themselves on their knees praying for us because we had lost our way. That's really at the heart of the split in the United Methodist Church as well, and that's going on as we speak. One year ago today, city commissioners in Portland, Oregon voted to cut 16 million dollars from the police budget in response to concerns about use of force and racial injustice. Interesting. I just happened to see that it, and it's related to that, some stats the other day. So I looked them up real quick when I saw that on things that happened today in history. The FBI puts out data on all the cities in the United States. I pulled a comparison uh, between Portland, Oregon, and Seattle, Washington. Both are pretty famous for uh, lawlessness, I, I guess you would say. Um, they, you know, we have a reputation. Let's just say that here in the Northwest. Anyway, the FBI data on, a, um, on an uh, index of one being the lowest crime rate you can have and 100 being the highest crime rate you can have, Portland, In violent crime has 21.7, Seattle 32.3. The United States average on that same index, based on FBI data, the United States has an average of 22.7. In property crime, however, Portland has 72.3 on a 1 to 100 scale, Seattle has a 76.9, and the average U.S. is 35.4 35.4 violent crime is composed of four offenses. According to this data, murder, uh, manslaughter, forcible rape, ro- uh, ro- robbery, and, av- uh, aggravated assault. And then there's the other, the property crime includes burglary, larcency, um, motor vehicle, theft, arson, that kind of thing. But anyway, it's kind of interesting to see that. However, In looking at that, I also came across a story that was um, put out. It was a special by Coin TV in Portland, the CBS affiliate. Um, They said last month, they said the sound of gunfire is becoming increasingly familiar across Portland as shootings and homicides reach historic rates with no sign of slowing down. Police in Portland reported a staggering 347 shootings citywide by January 1 uh, through April 30. There were 393 shootings in the entire year of 2019. With hundreds of shootings already this year in Portland, Coyne says, more than 100 people injured by gunfire by the end of April, the city is also experiencing a huge spike in homicides. Portland Police Bureau logged 56 total homicides in 2020, the highest number in decades. Portland tallied 27 homicides through April. I, did, I think I did the math right in my head that if it was 27 through April, if it continues down the path that it's on, it'll be 81, which is a significant increase over 56 last year, which is just a look at what happens when lawlessness prevails. And if we go to the Bible, we can see where lawlessness in so many different ways, lawlessness is pointed out as, as a killer to cultures. And the Bible is very clear on that. Man has to have a, a roadmap, a guide. We can't live in a lawless state and expect to survive. That's a biblical truth, and it's also a, it's a cultural truth. And we see it happening before our very eyes. And sometimes it's very frightening, particularly the people living in these cities or around them. I thought of Psalm 138, Though I walk in the midst of trouble thou wilt revive me thou wilt stretch forth thine hand against the wrath of mine enemies and thy right hand shall save me which reminded me of the words of jesus let not your heart be troubled ye believe in god believe also in me and in john 14:27, jesus said peace i leave with you my peace i give unto you not as the world giveth give I unto you, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. That is the promise that we live on, whether we live in some of these war zones that are going on culturally or not. God's peace is different than the world's peace. The world's peace is usually defined by lack of violence or lack of some kind of outrage. But the peace that Jesus Christ gives is an eternal peace. It's indescribable. You can't simply just describe what it is and how it feels. It's unspeakable. It's full of glory. That's the peace of God that passes all understanding. And that's the peace that God wants you to have in your heart and me and all of us. While we walk through these perilous times in which we live, always remember God wants us to be informed, but he wants us to be informed, but remain in his peace. There's all kinds of troubles in the world today, and we need to know what's going on. We need to know why it's going on. We need to be informed. We must be informed. But we can remain in his peace, and he's told us to do so. So keep that in mind. Don't forget President Biden has had some problems this week, probably more than we know about, but he had some problems that we know about in his G7 outing and all the other uh, meetings he was involved in. This was his first week overseas since becoming president. He was talking about the Declaration of Independence, of all things, one of our founding documents. He was talking about the Declaration of Independence. And he was trying to tell the press yesterday what he had told Vladimir Putin privately, who knows what he really said privately. I think most Americans would like to know, uh, particularly with President Biden, because he is unstable sometimes. But he was telling the press what he had told Putin. And he said, I made it clear to him that we're based on an idea, this country. He said, the language and the idea of our declaration is the idea that we're based on it. Everybody should know that. I'm quoting him. He said, we don't derive our rights from the government. We possess them because we are born, period. We yield them to the government. Well, I would agree with that. He said at one point, though, in his description, in his discussion with Putin, he said, The idea is, I'm quoting verbatim, word for word, the President of the United States. The idea is, we hold these truths self-evident, that all men and women, period, we haven't lived up to it completely, but we've always widened the arc of commitment and included more and more people. What does that mean? I don't know. I don't mean to be critical of the President, but... That doesn't even make sense. He was quoting, I think, he thought, from the Declaration of Independence. But the Declaration of Independence says, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, and that they're endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Kids used to memorize that in school. Back when they prayed or read a Bible verse, he said, I told him that no president of the United States, Putin, could keep faith with the American people if they did not speak out to defend our democratic values. Boy, well, I don't know. I Who knows what was said behind closed doors. This week was an interesting week, to say the least. G, the G7 summit it appears to kind of have adopted President Biden's build back better campaign slogan. Several of the rich seven leaders, the G7, they repeated the phrase over and over and over again. And Biden's been using that since he was running for office way back when. But the slogan building back better really isn't Biden's slogan either. He didn't come up with that. As he's been known to do, he borrowed it from someone else. He made it, his own slogan, and that's okay. People do that. I mean, we quote the big guys, you know. I quote Longfellow and others on this program, but I usually try to tell you I'm quoting someone when I am, not making it my own. But he has a history of making it. It's called plagiarism, but that's okay. But a quick look at Wikipedia tells us that the phrase BBB building back better actually emerged in the 1990s in relation to earthquakes, tsunamis, and storms. It had to do with repairing and replacing roads, bridges, and power grids. It's kind of like the word infrastructure now, which you're going to be hearing a lot about in the days to come. Infrastructure used to mean replacing roads, bridges, and power grids, utilities. But Biden's Build Back Better slogan means something very different than it appears to mean, much like infrastructure, we will learn, means something very different than it's used to mean. The UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson, he said following the summit this last Friday, he said, We need to build back better in several ways, and I actually think we have a huge opportunity to do that because as G7, we are united in our vision which he described as an opportunity to build back better in a, I'm quoting him, he's the, guy from, the main guy from Great Britain, UK, a greener, more gender neutral, and perhaps more feminine way. They're all on the same page, he says, and I believe they are. I, we, I've seen nothing from our president that would indicate to me anything other than that. So they're planning to build back. They're all on the same page. The richest nations in the world, the seven richest, they're all on the same page. They're planning to build back better, and they're going to do it in a greener, more gender-neutral, and perhaps more feminine way. Boy, that's not encouraging, is it? He said, the world is looking to us, the most prominent grouping of democratic countries, to lead in a global recovery. What does building back better really mean to these folks? I mean, Johnson gave us a hint of what he thinks it means, and he says they're all on the same page, and they spent the week together last week, and Biden went on to other meetings this week. But does that mean that President Joe Biden is agreeing with this? Yeah, it, it does, actually. There's a consensus among the seven most prominent nations in the world. So I wanted to take a couple of minutes and look at the anatomy of this BBB, as they call it, building back better. The globalist World Economic Forum, they weren't timid in claiming what that it means to them. To build back better, they said, we need to fix capitalism. <laughs> but they're optimistic because they said, and I'm quoting the World Economic Forum, thanks to the ongoing pandemic, the world is off balance. And they build their whole case on the fact that the world is off balance so we can push a new kind of capitalism on the world, which isn't capitalism at all. What they're talking about, it's a long article in detail. I'm not going to go into all of it, of course. But what they're talking about is not a new capitalism. It's old socialism. They say COVID-19 has exposed the fragility and societally negative outcomes of contemporary capitalist economies. It has strengthened the case for shifting to a more sustainable and inclusive model and has created a context in which transformative change is at least possible. It is vital that we seize, we seize this opportunity to correct the broken incentives and information flows at the heart of our current model of capitalism. But they're not really advocating any kind of capitalism, really. They're advocating a form of socialism that's linked to globalism. Because they say, quote, if we don't seize this opportunity to build back better, to reset and reinvent rather than return to normal, quote unquote, systemic risks and vulnerabilities will continue to accumulate. They're hopeful, though. They say, despite the tragedy, we must leverage The transformation of a global economy taking us closer to a world in which everyone can live well within planetary boundaries. Build Back Better also means a greener way of life. Boris Johnson, others in this G7, they came out saying the pandemic, the global community, has the opportunity... And they call it an opportunity every time they mention it to build back better in a greener, more gender neutral and perhaps a more feminine way. He affirmed that all seven nations are united in their vision for this cleaner, greener world. A solution to the problems of climate change, no matter what it costs. Many in the UK who voted for Johnson, they thought he was a conservative. I kind of follow the UK news, but they become very disappointed. Surprise, surprise. That happens. (laughs) It just does. He's not who they thought he was at all. And Build Back Better means something about the same thing it means to President Biden, where he's concerned, and the other five on this G7. The exact opposite of what it appears to mean. The new version of Build Back Better campaign is actually coming primarily from the United Nations. The Greens, the globalists, They're united in a climate issue. They've taken it to a new level, connecting the Green New Deal and feminism. BBC, the British Broadcasting, they're reporting that, quote, building back better requires building back differently. We need a rainbow recovery. This accompanied by a picture of solar panels stretching as far as the eye can see with the phrase, our our planet matters. Boy, that's the height of creativity, isn't it? British Broadcasting Corporation, BBC. Our planet matters. Well, of course our planet matters. God gave us dominion (laughs) over the creation. Of course it matters. But the connections are obvious. Obama called this kind of a vision remaking America rather than building back. But it all means the same thing. If you think the crisis mode with this nightmare mandates and legislation and demands will go away with this coronavirus, we should think again, it's not going to go away. As long as the left is in power, the crisis will continue because it presents an opportunity to remake the world. This is not my idea, it's their idea. I'm just standing up and, to the best of my ability, telling anyone who will listen, that's what they're saying. They don't like this world. They don't like America. They don't like the way it is. They're going to make this convenient for everybody's going to live on the same level. That's what the economists were saying. I read it a few moments ago. Everybody's going to be the same. God didn't create us to be everyone the same. Everyone has the same opportunity for eternal life through Jesus Christ. God, the only level place in life that exists is at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ. Others, people, certain people have certain gifts. Certain people have certain abilities. Certain people have maybe more opportunities than others. They can't fix this. Karl Marx couldn't fix it. I don't know if he wanted to or not, but he wanted to work at it. You can't fix that. You can't make everyone the same because God, the creator, chose not to do so. God could have made every one of us a clone of himself or whatever, and he did. We made his, us in the image of, of God himself. But God made us individuals. That's why collectively, everything that is liberal, everything that is way out there, far left, anti-God, really, doesn't matter how many times Joe Biden does his rosary, the things he stands for are not godly principles. They just aren't. And neither is Nancy Pelosi. And neither is it with the Protestants. It isn't a Catholic-Protestant thing. It's a Christian thing. And they claim to be Christian And they tell the world about their faith, their strong faith, and yet they take the power that's invested in them by the vote in this country and in Great Britain, and they use that to undermine and destroy the very foundations that are built on the premises of God's word. How does that work? How does a Christian commit their lives to abortion and perversion? I mean, how does that work? It doesn't work, and that's the problem and that's what we see in america today god made us as individuals and there is there is a common ground for the rich the poor the famous the unknown and i will tell you it's at the foot of the cross of jesus christ they will not find equity and all of the other words that they conjure up when they're talking about remaking the world or changing the world. It just isn't going to happen. It's only going to take us to down a, a very destructive path. It's not coincidental that Johnson and Biden and other globalist leaders easily connect the economy, the Green New Deal, globalism, and the social moral issues in their vision of building back better because they all connect in their thinking Their process of building back addresses the issues of hate crimes, bigotry, racism, homophobia, you know the list. But biblical teaching is direct on all the issues because the Bible is the inspired, infallible word of God, and God isn't confused. God is not the author of confusion, and much of God's word does his values, his principles align with, do not align with developing this world religion, and that's where these guys are headed. Biblical prophecy tells us that. I mean, if we have just a a cursory knowledge of biblical prophecy, we know where this thing is going. Our First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution begins, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. You fast forward to today, one of the most pressing issues is religious freedom, not only in America but all, all over the world. But we're talking about America. We've experienced the exchange of words like religious freedom for the words freedom of worship. Obama and Hillary Clinton, they made that transition. Trump did not use that word. Biden uses it all the time. Religious freedom is more than freedom of worship at church or synagogue or whatever. It means people shouldn't have to violate their deeply held religious values in order to conform to a culture or government in regard to expressing those beliefs. Freedom of worship allows religious expression in your meeting place, but it forbids the expression in the public square. That's why they quickly will agree, oh yeah, we have freedom of worship, freedom of worship. That's not what our founders gave us in America in the Constitution, and that's not what's reflected in the Declaration. The moral collision between government and citizen is myriad, but primarily it's related to the LGBTQ agenda, which is perversion and abortion, which is murder. And no one wants to say it out loud. Well, we're saying it out loud. We're also running out of time. Thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you for your support. Our address is box 399 Bellevue, Washington, 98009. I'll see you tomorrow.